Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to you wherever you are and welcome to the 4Play podcast episode number 13. I'm David Turner and I will be joined today by my fabulous co-hosts and music brothers Alan Jones, Darren Parr and Mark Hollywood. The premise of these podcasts is that we pick a theme and then we each have to choose four songs or albums related to that particular theme. In today's show we're going to talk about albums released in 1972. If you enjoy the show and some of the banter then do head on over to our Facebook group 4Play Podcast and let us know your thoughts about today's choices and what you would have picked. As some of you have asked, we don't get to play any of the songs on the show, but I will include a Spotify link for today's selections in a dedicated playlist. So, without further ado, let's get on with the show. So, good morning, guys. Uh, I can see Darren there, you're sporting your extra city top. How you doing? <laughs> Yes, sorry. Good morning. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't quite make it to the playoffs, did we? But there's always next year. Right. Not too bad. And uh, Alan, who's going under the moniker of the March Hare today? Yeah, I don't know why I did that, um, but um, maybe Mark's got an idea. <laughs> I might yeah, too... we made it into the playoffs. Swansea City made it into the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, well, it's still next year. Um, yeah. Uh, good morning, everyone. From uh, from a rather cloudy Luton. Um, Don Kettley is a weatherman. So was Michael Fish. And, and that is our very own Mark Hollywood. Good morning, Mark. How are you doing? Good morning. Good morning, gents. Yeah, I'm, I'm Tickney Boo. It's it's sunny in Edinburgh, and uh, yeah, we had the Lions here yesterday playing Japan, and. Um, yeah, it's all good. It's all good. Looking forward to today. I thought it was a tricky one because I think a, lot, <laughs> a few of us probably went for the same albums yeah. and had to had to backtrack and choose another one. Yeah. So, yeah, looking forward to yeah. hearing what, what every, everyone chose today. Yeah, so, yeah, that'd be good. I'm going to kick off just a quick bit of admin. On the end of the last podcast, I talked about us possibly doing a record store day pod and I think consensus was that we'll, we will do one of those but we'll wait until the second record store day and then we will reconvene and come up with our favourite four that we bought over those two events should be good and now we're going to do 1972 so we randomly picked 1972 and albums from that year I'm, I'm taking a, a flyer here we're not going to get it all done this time so I think we're going to be doing two each this episode and another two in the next one. If that works for you guys. So yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Brilliant. So before we kick off, just let's let's just position ourselves 1972. Some of us were here, some of us weren't back then. Um it was the year that I was eleven. Me and Dave were eleven, weren't we? We were indeed, yeah. Yeah. What a what a time. So I'll see if any of these ring any bells with you then. Um, it was actually the first year that the single chip microprocessor was invented. The, I was going to say that. <laughs> the top song of the year was the, uh, the the first time I ever saw you by Roberta Flack. The top movies, which Alan, you and I wouldn't have been allowed to watch. The Godfather, The Getaway, yeah. what, What's Up Doc, and The Poseidon Adventure. I seem to remember that one. Oh yeah, sort of seen The Poseidon Adventure in Film Society <laughs> a number of times. Yeah. Not when you were eleven, surely. Uh, maybe a couple couple years later, but oh, in school, nice. yeah, on a Friday night, you, you know, you go back to school around about 
half past seven, eight o'clock, and there was this film society who pay a pound for to see 20 films. So, wow. yeah, Poseidon Adventure was in it. Okay, good. Oh, we missed out in my school, they didn't have that. Um, uh, notable books that year was the uh, Jonathan Livingston Seagull by Richard Bark and Watership Down by Richard Adams. Might be a vague tie-in with that in one or two of the albums that we hear about. Um, interestingly, in that year, the Time Magazine's Man of the Year was Richard Nixon and Henry Kissinger. It was also oh, the, the irony. It was also the year that the uh, the agents for Richard Nixon um, were arrested whilst breaking into the Democratic National Co Committee. Yeah, all yeah. the presidents, man. Yeah, fantastic, Ooh. fantastic book. Uh, Jane Fonda visited North Vietnam, supporting the communist side of the war. So she earned the nickname Hanoi Jane. Um, it was also the year Bloody Sunday took place in Derry, in Northern Ireland. Yeah. Uh, Scottish musician Les Harvey of the Stone the Crows was electrocuted in front of a live audience um, when his ungrounded microphone cable, unfortunately, uh, got him. And fun fact. Walt Disney wasn't cryogenically frozen. He was cremated after his death and his ashes interred on there. And then frozen. <laughs> if you want, <laughs> if you want. I've heard this done on another podcast. It's quite interesting. If we go back another 49 years from, from then, so that makes 1972 the midpoint, it takes us back to 1923. And... Back then, uh, BBC was given the light license to broadcast. You had the first chimes of Big Ben were broadcast. Uh, mm -hmm. The archaeologist Howard Carter unsealed the burial chamber of Tutankhamun. Wembley hosted the first FA Cup final. And I think the, the first game was played at the original Yankee Stadium. Wow. Adolf Hitler leads the, led the Nazi, Nazi party to a failed coup attempt in Germany. And Turkey was established so going 1972 it actually does feel quite a long way away now you think how much further back in time that takes you when you go back those extra 49 years yeah oh, was born. <laughs> who was born you you were born 1972 yeah. was also was also a year uh the led zeppelin landed in singapore and uh the, the gig was cancelled because government officials um, wouldn't let them off the plane. They said their hair was too long. <laughs> nice one. That's a, and that, that is a fact. That is a fun fact. <laughs> Do you know what else happened in 1972? Uh, I hope I'm not stepping on anyone's toes here, but Dark Side of the Moon should have been released. And yeah. It took over a, well, just under a year to actually get it recorded because of yeah. technical errors, apparently. So I think I it was... That, that one in here, I couldn't... Yeah. I think I think it was meant to be played for the first time in in January. It was, and, 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 and yeah, and there were a couple of albums that narrowly squeaked out uh, into nineteen seventy one, like Led Zeppelin Four. That that was released in November seventy one, and okay. Oh, and uh, Elvis split with Priscilla. Oh, really? Yeah, in seventy two. Ah, cool. yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Thank you very much. Thank you very much," she said. She was gorgeous. She is gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. Nice, nice beaver. <laughs> That's it. 
<laughs> that is a reference to the naked gun, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's been on the drink early. <laughs> it's that Japanese beer. Yeah. Japanese beer, huh? I'm, I'm being a good boy. Okay, guys, let's get rocking and rolling then. So, 1972, we're each going to pick four albums, and Darren is going to lead the way. Okay, yeah, thank you. So, we missed one really important thing that happened in 1972. Go on. Um, that was me <laughs> being born. <laughs> we Sorry. missed that one. So, for that very reason, um, that actually made this really tricky for me. Um, I, I, as I was looking through, there's obviously there's some classic albums there. But did I necessarily know them all as albums? I knew the artists, I knew a lot of the songs, but it was never sort of LPs that I got into back then. Uh, bar one or two. Yeah, there, there was some. So I think to start with, for a couple of my selections, especially the first one, I was looking at songs I knew um, and listened to the album over the last couple of weeks. And actually, yeah, um, brilliant albums. But I wasn't okay with every single track on them. But Moving on. So, I mean, I said that's only on two of them. On two of them, I did know the albums really well, because obviously it's all timeless. But I've gone, first of all, for a Canadian lady uh, with a beautiful voice, absolutely stunning voice, um, introduced to me many, many, many years ago by my uncle Graham. So I've got to thank him for that. This is the same uncle that took me to Nebworth 19 many, many years ago. Um, Best known for her LP, which preceded this one, which was called Blue in 1971. But I've gone for um, For The Roses by Joni Mitchell. Um, really, really stunning voice. Absolutely brilliant. Um, this album, I knew four or five of the tracks. Um, for that reason, it had to go in. I've been a big fan since. I've listened to, I've actually got a vinyl box set of all her LPs, but probably not played them enough. But this one was released in November 1972, about a year after Blue. Um, met with critical acclaim as soon as it came out. It came a 20, number 25 hit in the US. Um, and yeah, it was just fantastic. It had songs on it such as, it opened up with Banquet, Let the Wind Carry Me, See You Sometime, For The Roses, loads of stuff on there. Um, the best known one probably on there, and actually this was their biggest solo hit, was called You Turn Me On, I'm a Radio. Um, apparently this was written with more than a hint of sarcasm because the record company requested a radio-friendly song. So she thought, all right, I'll get you. <laughs> and she did. Um, but this it was squeezed between her two sort of biggest success albums, which were Blue and Court and Spark. So this one almost, even though it had a lot of critical acclaim, got a little bit, little bit lost, I think, between those two albums. But yeah, absolutely amazing. It had another track on it as well, just to finish it off, called Cold Blue Steel and Sweet Fire, which was um, a kind of quite a critical portrayal of her lover at the time, who was James Taylor and his addiction to heroin. So uh -huh. unlike some Joni Mitchell tracks or albums, you don't expect that kind of hard edge, but that song certainly had it. Uh -huh. um, so that's it. So I've gone for For The Roses, Joni Mitchell. Yeah, I'm, um, stunned you all into silence. Yeah, um, I haven't got any Joni Mitchell. I've, I'm only really aware of the the album Blue. Right. Has that got? Is that the one with Big Yellow Taxi on? I think. Uh, 
Who's that? Johnny Mitchell? Thinking yeah, it is, but I don't think that's on that one. It's not. I think it's. I'm sure it's on blue. I might be. But, yeah. I, that. Um, I'm, I'm aware of her, but let's say lucky your, you know, your your uncle introduced you to her. Uh, nobody's introduced uh, Joni Mitchell to me apart from you, Daz. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to have to give it a call. I mean, I was at one stage. I nearly bought that blue album because it was a, a HMV uh exclusive once in blue vinyl oh yeah and um you know i thought well you know if they're bringing it out you know and hmv are celebrated it then it must be good oh, and i think i was aware of that track you know the, the big yellow taxi yeah that's uh, not on it i've just checked well it's not, not on, on it oh, it's, on, it's on ladies of the canyon that's I'm right a compulsive liar yeah no the big tracks on blue with my old man blue itself California uh, River is one of the best songs ever written. Uh, have a listen uh, to it. Okay. Yeah. Um, pass me by, I'm afraid. Yeah. No, fair enough. Well, no. that's definitely one to catch up on. Yeah. Well, Blue first, I would say, and then go for Full the Roses. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know I've I've heard it. Blue Blue is the one I've got in the collection, but certainly, I mean, she has an amazing voice. I mean, she's very much uh, a major part of the whole Laurel Canyon scene, isn't she? Mm. Um, on yeah, there. Um, I need to, to check this one out. So that's going on my playlist. Do you have one song you'd recommend? I'll stick it in our playlist. Oh, yeah, let's go for, I guess my favourite one's not the popular one, but it's Banquet. I really like Banquet. Nice. Okay. And Mark, do you know, do you know this one? Uh, so, yeah, a, a Joni Mitchell, I'm a fan of, but um, I think we're, we're going back last year um, in my top 100 Hollywood albums. Yeah. Joni Mitchell Blue came in there. Um, it's, 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 a, it's a staple. I really, really enjoy listening to it. I have not admittedly listened to this album, but I will. Um, she, yeah, she's quite the songstress and um, yeah. Just yeah, just a great great presence about her. When you listen to her voice, it's uh, how would you say it's it's powerful yet sweet. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's um, range, big range. Yeah, and uh, yeah, enjoy listening to it. I'll I'll uh, you know as I often do after after podcasts, I'll I'll go away and listen to to something that you've chosen that I've never I've never listened to. I like you know I was watching Glasgow over the last few nights. Yeah, and and uh, you know I'm digressing slightly here, but I was I was listening to Radiohead were on and REM were on. I was thinking, God Almighty, I haven't heard these songs in years, and I've just had a binge, you know, yeah. on on these bands, and uh, that's what I, that's what I do at the weekends. I, I think I just I, I binge on a particular band, and then after these, you know, if it's a Saturday or Sunday morning session, I'll let I'll go away and listen to. Oh, definitely. I'll stick Joni Mitchell on. Yeah. Um, no, good choice. I was I was looking at all you know all the albums released in '72, and I know I'm aware that some of you chose some that that I was going to choose, but uh, this this was definitely in the top ten that I would have chosen. Um, good. just by by virtue of the fact that I I, I thoroughly enjoyed Blue. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think you yes, when you're looking at top albums in a particular year, if it was top Joni Mitchell albums, I don't think anyone would choose anything other than Blue. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, yeah, limited. Yeah. Isn't it? It's interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah. Nice one. No, that's good. That's excellent. Great start. Um, Alan, your first choice. Focus to me, is it? Okay, what have I got in my little red book? Well, grey book with a picture of a record on okay. and a red. We've got a little book. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, what have I got? I've actually, strangely enough, I've, I'm, I don't do this very often, but uh, I've gone for a compilation album on this on this this one in the nineteen seventies. Uh, majorly because the band had already done their stuff um, by now. And unfortunately, their lead singer uh, had, uh, had died the previous year. So, you know, this band were uh, uh, really uh, had their six albums, six, six studio albums. Uh, but, you know, even though the, the lead singer, Jim Morrison, died, They've been a kind of cult band for many, many people and continue to be very, very popular. And uh, there's, there's normally something is uh, found and re-released or uh, re-recorded or released in mono or stereo or quadraphonic, whatever. They're always re-releasing stuff by the band called The Doors. And uh, this... Uh, particular album came out in January 1972 so it's a compilation album and it's got a great a great uh, title called Weird Scenes Inside the Gold Mine so as I say it's um, uh, it's I have to thank my old mate Tommy Hewitt um, for getting me into the doors originally um, I suppose this would have been around about late 70s Six, seventy-seven, um, and I was really uh, I don't know, heard of the Doors, and Tommy said, oh, "You know, have a listen to this." He was always a bit way off um, <laughs> listening to weird music, and uh, I was drawn to them because they had a very similar sound and keyboards to a band that I was just getting into at that time called the Stranglers. You know, they were just starting out in, in you know seventy. Uh, 76, 77, the first album, Rattus And on that album is some great keyboards by the late uh, Dave Greenfield. Um, very similar to the style in which Ray Manzarek plays, uh, played for The Doors. Um, so I was instantly drawn to them. And uh, it really is a fine selection. It's a double album. Um, say that it contains a lot, of, a lot of tracks from their six studio albums. Um, some tracks you may know, uh, for example, like uh, LA Woman, Riders on the Storm, uh, Break On Through, uh, Strange Days, which I think was in uh, the soundtrack that we picked earlier in the year, The Lost Boys, I think Echo and the Bunnymen did a version of it. Uh, People Are Strange, I was on that. People Are Strange, yeah. sorry. Yeah. sorry. Um, and uh, there's some other great uh, Doors classics like The Spy, Love Her Madly, and a great track called The Wasp, Brackets, Texas Radio and The Big Beat. Um, but also contains, uh, you know, they, a lot of their, their songs are two, three minutes, but this, this album contains two great, um, really extended uh, tracks 
Uh, one's called When the Music's Over, and that clicks, that's about 11 minutes. So, you know, it's interspersed with Jim Morrison's, you know, vocals and some great instrumental, uh, not just keyboards, but you've got um, uh, Robbie Krieger on guitar. Um, and, uh, but uh, one of my favorite tracks, which is on here, is even longer than that. It's 11 minutes 35, and it's called The End. Uh, and this is the track that actually gets the, the album its title as uh, it slows down uh, uh, and uh, Jim says, weird scenes inside the gold man, or something like that. I think, I don't think Bob Dylan was in it. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, he, is, he is now. He is now. And um, I know you, you guys are big film buffs. Um, so uh, the, this this track, the end. There was um, yep. a famous scene in, in the film called Apocalypse Now, yep. uh, where the helicopters are appearing, and you hear the the the, the, the whiz of the yeah. of the helicopter blades, and uh, you know the end starts starts playing. That's really cool part of that film um so uh yeah if you've if you've never ever listened to the to the doors then you know, you're in for you know a real treat so they, they only did six albums and they've probably done about 166 live albums since <laughs> um, they're always bringing finding stuff they they were very well recorded um it's got a great cover people watching in black and white so it's a lovely well, and this is this version is actually uh, the one that was re-released for Record Store Day a couple of years ago on amber vinyl. Um, it's a nice, nice track, but yeah, um, some great tracks on there. Um, some, some very, some clever songwriting, some clever, clever um, instrumental and, and arrangements, and. Uh, I mean, Doors, yeah, for me, they, they've continued to be a, you know, staple part of my uh, my listening and uh, often listen, listen to them. They're a great band and um, it's just a shame that he died so early and he was all into his drugs and, and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, big shame, I think, uh, you know, a bit like, you know, when we lost John Lennon, just wondering what yeah. Jim would have gone on to do. So that's my first choice uh, from January 1972, The Doors, Weird Scenes Inside the Gold Man. Yeah, great choice. I need that in my collection, I think. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah he's um, another curse of the age 27, wasn't he? he was. Yeah. Wow, he was that young. I didn't realise he was that young. It's part of the 27 yeah. Club. Yeah, 27 Club, so many of them. Yeah. Um, you touched on Ray Manzarek. I mean, that... His solo is it in like my fire, isn't it? it goes oh, on for about yeah. three or four minutes. Yeah. How good is that? I didn't even mention like my fire. Mm. No, no, brilliant. Because no. it's not on this. No. Well, yeah, it's not on it. Oh, that's um, good. You know, they, they, you know, can you, you know, put six albums into, you know, two, two, two albums really? Yeah. But yeah, what you know, like my fire is brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, especially especially um what do you call him? Will Will somebody oh god, he, he won Pop Idol. Will Young. Will Young. 
His version. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I am taking the piss here. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. I actually like Will, Will Young. I've got one of his albums. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's an acquired taste, Alan, but I'd yeah. say his version of Light My Fire is, is, is definitely, it's not even on the top 1,000. Yeah, no, no, no. Like Premier Ridge, doesn't it? <laughs> oh boy, something. <laughs> Jim Morrison will be spitting in his grave. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In Paris, he is, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> I've just Very started watching Bentley in the last week or so. I've started watching the um, Oliver Stone biopic as well. Oh yeah, ninety-one, I think, but still a yeah. brilliant film. Not watched it for ages, years. Mm. Yeah, that's worth a watch as well if you haven't seen it. Yeah, I think I've. Yeah. Alan, be pleased yeah. to know that Wikipedia agrees with you. Um, yeah. Yeah, it says about Dave Greenfield that his sound and style of playing, particularly on Strangler's Raticus Norveticus, has been compared to that of Ray Manzarek. Um, the comparison, yeah. comparison was even made by Jean Jacques Burnell, who said that Greenfield hadn't actually heard of The Doors at the time. Um, Greenfield was actually yeah. more inspired by Rick Waitman. So, ah. there you go. Yes, but those, yeah, they're, yeah. They're, um, they're, they're the Stranglers because they are. Um, sort of digressing a bit here, but because uh, the passing of um, Dave Greenfield, um, they need to find somebody because they're going to continue. You know, yeah. with, when when they can, they will be you know playing live gigs tours all arranged etc so but they need somebody to fill dave's boots and it's not easy we still don't know who is they've dropped it they dropped a few hints it yeah. could very well be rick wakeman right yeah. Yeah. or one of his sons who can who are very good yeah. on the keyboard as well. like, i mean they, they've dropped hints but we still don't really know who who, who it's going to be but you know That's they're it. massive it's that Jeez, hammond organ sound like. isn't it that he generates yeah Oh, it's fantastic. Which, yeah. which again, for the Doors, that's just a classic trademark. Yeah, I mean, just, uh, it's just um, it's just a cool instrument, isn't it? The minute you hear that, yeah, you know, there's no other sound like a like a Hammond organ. Don't know if you've watched any of the um, classic album documentaries on is it Sky Arts, mm -hmm. and they they've, yeah. they've been talking to talking to the Doors and. Ray, he's such a cool guy. He's he's still full of life and enthusiasm. I don't know how old that that particular those those interviews yeah. came from, but what a lovely guy. Yeah, he, he's, he's I'm sure he's passed now. He did yeah. pass some his yeah. yeah, yeah. Because there's I think there's there's only there's only Robbie left. I think. Hmm. I was going to I was going to come out with that. I was going to come out with an Alan joke there. It's talking to the doors like talking to the walls. Uh, oh, very good. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, he'll find that one away <laughs> you can have that uh, I, I, I really enjoy I, I didn't I didn't like the doors at all particularly because um, uh, there were a couple of guys in my class uh, who, who got into the doors and um, they were always looking for something different to, to listen to and you know retrospectively I look at those guys and say fair play to you um, because we were all very you know as people you know, kids in their their youth um, and their teens, they, they tend to go like lemmings for the same bands. Yeah. But these these few guys were, yeah, they they would pick different bands to listen to, and they'd, they'd have it scribbled on their school bag. <laughs> and one boy I remember clearly had 
the doors on on his school bag, and uh, I only give them a listen to in my I would say in my thirties, and really impressed, really impressed. And I'm, I'm so glad you picked this album, Alan, because I didn't know it existed. And shame on yeah. me for, shame, yeah, absolutely shame on me for not knowing that. And uh, you know, so many hits off it as well. And of course, I remember the song "The End" from Apocalypse Now. Um, it's it's quite a moody. Um, oh, it's it's quite yeah, it's a scene that sticks with you. Um, it, it kind of sums up the film. It sums up the um, the absolute mess the the Americans were in at the time in yeah. Vietnam. It was actually well, I mean, the film wasn't filmed in Vietnam. I think it was filmed in um, Thailand and Malaysia at the time, because um, obviously. Uh, Francis Ford Coppola couldn't get into um, Vietnam at the time because it was only four years after the uh, the end of the war. So I still, and I'm, that's another one for the list to listen to. Yeah, strangely enough, it's say it was it was re- originally released in January 1972, mm-hmm. and um, it never got re-released until 2014. Wow. You know, it's yeah. a nice period for, you know. For... Yeah, do you remember, like, the doors, uh, that, there was a bit of a resurgence with them. Uh, I think, like, my fire went into the charts. I don't know whether it was uh, uh, some kind of, yeah, I, I remember one of, the, one of the songs got into the top ten, and it would have been it would have been in the 90s or the noughties, but pretty sure that's that's when they kind of popped their heads up again. Yeah. After after Morrison's death, yeah. strangely enough, the last album I purchased, as on Friday night, was The Doors' first album. Nice. Oh, nice. Uh, it's just got a re a release on vinyl, me please. Right. Um, comes with um, uh, comes in a kind of gold green vinyl with a clear seven inch single with it. Of yeah. like my fire. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Fire. Yeah. Nice one. No. Okay. Yeah. Well, not much to follow on there, Mark. Yeah. So these guys were from uh, well, pretty much all over the states, the United States. Um, one guy was from Nebraska, another from Texas, another from Michigan. Uh, Another from Minnesota. Um, however, they were associated often with the West Coast, uh, Los Angeles, California. They started off in 1971 being a support to Linda Ronstadt, her band, and her their only ever live performance with Linda Ronstadt was actually in Disneyland in California in uh, July of 71 and then they thought to hang with us we're going to start our own band and they did and boy did they start their own band 1972 was their debut album and um, it's called The Eagles and it's by The Eagles Um, I I absolutely love this album love this band Uh, (laughs) The Eagles are a bit like a bit like Marmite I suspect some people totally get them and other people just loathe them because they, they think they're outplayed or just overplayed sorry this this particular album had three two, two top 10 hits one top 20 
uh, take it easy, which woman, and I think peacefully, easy feeling was the top 20 hit. I'm a huge fan of um, Don Henley. I've even got a set of his drumsticks sit, kicking about somewhere in, in the study here. Uh, I've seen him a few times live. Uh, I know it's a, a bit of a cliche to say you love Hotel California, but I do. It's it's just a haunting melody. It's not off this particular album. But um, yeah, I, I've got my mum to thank for this. <laughs> she, had, she was given uh, the Eagles' greatest hits by our next door neighbour back in Uri, back in the day. And um, I listened to it and I played it and played it and played it. And that, that old record player I was telling you about before that had four speeds on it. 17, 33, 45, and 78. I'm sure Alan remembers those coming out. And uh, 16. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. What, four speeds? Yeah. Six. Four speeds, yeah. Was a, I think yeah, 16 is the, the, the first 16 one. 16 was the first one, wasn't it? Yeah. 16. This, well, this, this is 17, so it was obviously. Oh, as a knockoff. As a knockoff. So, <laughs> yeah, 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 it was a knockoff. Yeah. Or, or we just couldn't count. So, um, yeah, this this goes in. Um, I, I just think, uh, sadly, it's a loss, Glenn, Glenn Frey. Glenn Frey, the um, you know, a few years back, um, say so he sadly passed away. But they're still touring, and, and there's, I, I guess, one of the one of the best tribute bands I've ever seen. The Illegal Eagles. They're 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 fantastic as well. It's almost like listening to the real, real thing. But this goes in as my first album in '72, and it was it was a no brainer. I know. And a few other choices that others may have picked, but um, this would have definitely been in the top four. Very hard to fault that. I think there. Yeah, I, I think I uh, had it on CD. Uh, I only just got it. I got the vinyl a few weeks ago, but I had it on CD. Um, but yes, yeah, great album, great band. Let's say they they just didn't release. I mean, they, they just haven't released enough, did they? Didn't do enough albums, really. I think I, they I just, were very successful. Yeah. Uh, and um, uh, and obviously they sold lots of records, but they, they never were sporadic. That's not, not the word. So, well, yeah, sporadic in terms of their output. There was always a lot, a big gap between albums, things like that. Uh, but, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not knocking them. What they did bring out was fantastic, but just yeah. just felt it. You know, they, you know, you know, what else could they could they have done? Uh, they, I think Hotel California took them over like an over a year to record, if not more. Wow. They were just not. They would they would they would become in um, uh, so wound up in the production and things like that. Um, but yeah, great. Great band, can't knock them for, for that. But um, yeah, I just wish they they'd done more, really. Mm. Yeah, I think I think in a short period of time though that they were together. Uh, I mean, uh, they did a lot of um, you know tours after that. You know, like when Hell Freezes Over was the big one. But for such you know for a band to be together for such a small period of time, they had quite the catalogue of of hits. You know, so I, I, I would I would argue that a lot argue, I wouldn't argue with you, Alan. Um <laughs> I would say I would say that um they had in that period of time that they were properly um sitting down in the studio recording recording songs, they had quite a, a list of hits 
Yeah, that's not in dis- uh, that's not in dispute. I think that the problem is, and you know, the, the name of that live album tells you everything. Hell freezes over. It's a, it's because of the egos in the band that Absolutely. they were all fighting yeah. for top spot for for credits, and maybe that's where it all fell. Well, obviously, it didn't release enough. Um, and they did evolve, didn't they? They started out as a country band. And... Yeah, they started out as a country band and then a uh, country folk oh, sort yeah. of band. And then you can hear that, even in the even in the, the, the well, big hits, like Lion Eyes, Take It to the Limit, Desperado, Hotel California, oh. Witchy Woman. There's an element, there's a huge element of country in there. And I think that's from the likes of uh, Glenn, Glenn Frey and um, not so much Don Henley. I think Glenn Frey was, he, he was the guy who I think had a huge country influence on the band. I could be wrong. There might be eagle aficionados out there who'll, who'll um, debate that. But yeah, I mean, what a band! They'd, they'd be in my, I'd say they'd be in my top six, seven bands of all time. Yeah, I think it tells a tale. It's that they've got seven studio albums they release, uh, but ten compilation albums. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that up their discography a bit, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm ashamed to say the only one I own is uh, Hotel California. So I think I need to expand my listening with the Eagles. I think Dude. that's probably their. I think that's probably the best album. Yeah, right. Most complete. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know there's a great track on that on the B side called. Um, well, yeah, side two. Uh, Pretty Maids all in a row. Mm. That's a really nice track. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I've got a lovely Super Audio CD pressing of that. Um, yeah, nice, nice. Yeah, and, and they have hits, you know, after 72, they have hits like Doolan Dalton and Already Gone. Um, the best of my the best of my love is just a beautiful track as well. Yeah, that's um, good. They, they, they go under the radar, you know. They really do. They're dwarfed, aren't they? So really, they by the others. They brought out another. They brought out another album about what ten years ago? Was it the long, the long road out of Eden? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think there was a. There was definitely one great track on there, quite a long one, I think. That might have actually been the title track. But I remember buying the CD. It seemed like a, it's like a red sort of like uh, canvas type cover um but i've never got around to buying the um buying on vinyl yet um, so many choices yeah <laughs> yeah who needs that when you can go and buy your 12th copy of the first doors album whatever <laughs> oh, yeah. true said yeah mm. too right good. Cool. yeah good choice more good choice yeah, um, yeah. cheers lads yeah, and I was minus. I was minus one at the time, so <laughs> yeah. I wasn't even born. Yeah, um, thanks, thanks. Glint in the milkman's eye. So my mum, <laughs> my mum must have been a cheek. Uh, my mum must. Have, she must have been listening to them when I was in the room. Or the neighbours. So, yeah. Or was it the neighbours eye? Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> he's out. Of, he's out of the game. We're going to have to edit this one as well. <laughs> um, before we go. You don't get Eagles albums for nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
Mark, just before we move on, which would you put one of their songs or would you recommend one of those songs to put into our playlist? Oh, yeah, okay. Um, uh, probably take, take it easy. Excellent. It's in. It's in. Okay. Fourth record then, and your first choice, David. Yeah, let's let's go with it. Um, I think I found myself in a similar position to to Alan on this. I I wouldn't ordinarily have thought about including the greatest hits, uh, but the one I've chosen was a family favourite, and whenever we put it on, it always put a smile on my mum's face, um, and we put it on. Or in those days, we would have had a, one of those cheap, high-fidelity music centres. And for those too young to know, you would have seen them in quite a few houses in the 70s. There were these electronic gadgets that, that comprised a, a turntable with a cassette and a radio tuner thing. The sound was never great, but when you were that age, it was a way to be able to, to listen to music. Um, the rest record in question was actually Simon Garfunkel's greatest hits. Um, I had a bit of a quandary about it and I was encouraged by um, fr Twitter friend Mr Cloudland Blue Quartet. Uh, we both agreed that this was in fact their best album. Although it's quite a strange one because it combines mostly studio tracks but I think there's two live tracks on there um, and so it comes out in 1972 um, released two years after the, the duo had split and if anyone's read the Paul Simon autobiography you'll know that you know there was growing tensions and frustrations uh, I think it's around commitment to to releasing or making new records coming up with new ideas which led to that eventual split but you know it was a great success it sold over 14 million copies and um, the Rolling Stones have it in or the, sorry the Rolling Stone magazine 500 included it as as uh, one of the top 500 in 2003 but again, whilst I let myself put a greatest hits into our selection, I don't think it's right for the Rolling Stone 500 to include greatest hits on there. Um, but back to 72 and the mid 70s when we would have put this album on, um, it's it was a preference to play in Simon Garfunkel in the house and, and became very familiar with all of the tunes. Certainly better than having the lights of James Last on there. Um, rolling forward to the mid 80s, my brother was posted um, at his first posting abroad with his job and he was working in Brussels and he struck up a great friendship with a couple of sisters who ran a small bistro type restaurant, two Dutch sisters in fact. Um, so this lovely little restaurant called The Panake and on Saturday evenings it used to have this wild guy, <laughs> George, uh, George from Greece. Um, I think Mark, you know Angelo Branduardi, the, the guitarist? Yeah. So this guy, George, had that same hairstyle, big frothy hair, sort of probably a bit like um, David Louise, we think it now, although he'd had, he'd had some brain surgery and he still had a scar right down the middle of his, his head when he played. But So he played some of those An Angelo Branderati songs, but he just played the Simon and Garfunkel songs and they were great and everyone would join in. And there was one special evening for, for me when my parents were in Brussels at the same time as I was visiting my brother and we both we went to to this little restaurant 
where my brother seemed to have free reign of the place. He could go behind the bars and the bar and pour drinks for us all. And it was great. And that was great. And this guy, he just did loads of the um, the Simon and Garfunkel songs. So again, it brought it home back then in the mid 80s, how much I enjoyed the album. And indeed, if just pick out some of the songs on there and we've, we've covered some of these in previous podcasts, like Mrs. Robinson, The Boxer, Sound of Silence, um, I'm a Rock, Scarborough Fair, Canticle, it goes on. Um, great album, love it. Um, and I've put it in as my first album for 1972. Excellent choice. Yeah. Uh, you can't, can't fault that. Um, you know how much I love Simon or Garfunkel. Enough said. <laughs> yeah. Do you think, just a question, the fact we've got, I mean, a great choice, but do you think the fact that we've already got two compilation albums in there, does that say something about 1972 and the music output? Yeah, no. yeah, really good point there. No, I don't. No, 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 Mark, no, so you're right. I think I think if at the end of it, we'll see how many more greatest hits we've got in there. I, I, yeah. think, it's, I think it's about the personal journey for, the, yeah. for some yeah. of us. Yeah. It's, and it's all about the great music that preceded 1972. I, I mean, I've, also, I've I've said this time and time again. I think some of the great best years of rock and pop were probably from about 67 to 73, maybe. It started to tail off, but they were very, very inventive years in the, the mid-late 60s, probably because LSD was about. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah. It, just uh, some of the best albums ever written. And I, and I hope we get to visit some of those years on our podcast. Because, yeah. I mean, I'd I, I, I have a list the length of your arm. <laughs> Excellent. But yeah, a really good choice. You can't go wrong with those guys, can you? Yeah, mm. I think I remember this is another one that came from the Britannia Music Club. Uh. Uh, <laughs> remember that? Yeah. yeah. That's another one. And. Um, yeah, I remember getting, remember getting it, and uh, trying to think of the live tracks. Uh, oh, there's um, one is really, really short, isn't it? Uh, one Ka- is a Ka- really, really Kathy's Kathy's song's one of them, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. 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 Beautiful and song. and oh, it's Homeward Bound. Yeah. Homeward Bound. Yeah. Do you know oh, the, the definitive Simon Garfunkel was released? I think in oh, it must have been the early nineties. Uh, I actually asked um, my mum and dad uh, if I could get it for Christmas. Yeah. Um, so the d- definitive would probably be a, a rip-off of, of the 72 Greatest Hits. Oh. But um, I listened to it over and over and over again, the definitive. And for Emily, wherever I might find her, yeah. um, Kathy's song, Homeward Bound, yeah, just, oh, just brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, but I say, so I would have got that originally from the Britannia Music Club. And then uh, a couple of years ago, another HMV exclusive uh, on Blue Vinyl. Yeah. Joe, my favourite song of theirs is actually um, America. Oh, yeah, it's lovely. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. What's that going like? I'm not singing it. You have to go up a. You, you don't have a natural well, voice for it. You don't have the the right right range for it. No, no. But I, I'm going to come back to to Darren's point. So you make it. You 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 write, you ask the right question. Given we're two for two, a greatest hits. But back to Mister 
Cloudland Blue Quartet. He actually shared with me this morning a hundred albums from 1972, of which I've got 25, I think, of them. So there's plenty of material okay. there. Yeah. Um, and uh, and no, there's going to be plenty of material. It's just interesting that we've yeah. got compilations. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll find out a bit more as we go through. Yeah, and I, I think so. It's something quite important. I think we we have talked about albums that we include, and it'd be easy for us to each pick the top 16 and share it amongst us, but it's actually more about choosing the albums that have some personal relevance for us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, strangely enough, three, three out of my four choices all released on the same day. Wow. In 1972. So you didn't go, you took, you saw January and you just took the first three off there. (laughs) (laughs) It's just weird, isn't it? Yeah. I'm, I'm just, yeah, it is weird. Um, I'm looking at my list though, my list of three and a half, <laughs> and um, I no, no, none of mine are compilations, but all of them are heavily influenced by God Rester, my mother. And I'm just looking at it now. Okay. And it must have been maybe maybe it was something to do with um, uh, the my 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 pending arrival. <laughs> months later uh, you never know you just never know you should have been listening to you it did, but you, did absorb it. you did absorb it yeah or then yeah okay well let's see, if see more... how she... we'll have to wait and see how she came about with the other albums <laughs> you're going to choose he's chipping away there yeah. Mark he's chipping away and I, I'm not fighting <laughs> come on let, let's, let's come back let, let's go around the, the... Around the four of us again. So, Darren. Okay. So, I've gone with um, an American performer. uh, Sadly, left us in 2013, just at the age of 71. Um, He actually had 20 solo albums. Um, I profess to only knowing two or three of them. Um, And five albums with his band, who were arguably more famous. Um, I've gone for Lou Reed and the album Transformer. Uh, obviously, Lou Reed, formerly of the Velvet Underground. Um, this is an album that I did know uh, from 1972. Uh, apparently, I didn't. What I didn't realise is this was his second solo studio album. His first album didn't. It flopped really. It didn't get particularly picked up. Nobody was particularly into it um, until a certain chap by the name of David Bowie decided that he was a fan uh, and wanted to produce Transformer with Mick Ronson as well. Um, obviously, anything Bowie picked up and decided to produce and get behind would make it a success. And this certainly happened for Lou Reed. Um, the album is just so good. It opens with a track called Vicious, which is really sets the tone for the album. Um, I'm not sure what instrument it is, but there's a brilliant little noise in between each phrase. Um, a prize for whoever tells me what instrument that is, actually. Um, and this was a song that Andy Warhol actually said, Oh, you should write a song about somebody vicious. Obviously, he had this big friendship with Andy Warhol. Um, And Lou Reed said to him, what do you mean by vicious? And Andy Warhol replied, oh, you know, like I hit you on the head with a flower. (laughs) But it does sound a bit more vicious than that. Um, But this album, it's got some brilliant tracks on there. And the first single was Walk on the Wild Side, um, which was very controversial at the time. It touches on sexual orientation, gender identity, drug use and prostitution. Second single, Satellite of Love. And apart from that, you've got Perfect Day on there. You've got Hanging Round. Uh, it's just packed with fantastic songs. And really atmospheric, really atmospheric album. Uh, 
just an interesting fact, really, about the um, the cover. You might recognise the cover with a kind of overexposed picture of Lou Reed. Apparently, it was a Mick Rock picture, a Mick Rock in the dark room messed it up, basically, overexposed it. But he thought, oh, actually, I quite like that. And he sent them all through to Lou Reed, and that's the one that Lou Reed picked to go on the album cover. Yeah. Mick Rock, yeah. He took a lot of photos of Queen as well. Yeah, and Bowie, didn't they? I think as well. Yeah, Bowie features heavily yeah. in a lot of the Bowie uh, biographies. Uh, yeah, I think I think he must have been a really good pal. Yeah. Didn't he, did he live in that house of theirs in Beckenham? I don't know. You know, it's like it was kind of, kind of a commune that with him and with um, Mrs. Bowie in the day. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, what do you think, guys? Do you, you must know that album, I'm guessing. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. This. This was actually, um, it would have been in my, this this was a choice that I initially gave in to David. Oh, and uh, yeah, and he said, sorry, mate, it's gone. And it's uh, <laughs> no, 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 it's quite all right. Yeah. Um, I, I, I absolutely uh, love this album for so many reasons. And um, once again, it was a guy who actually introduced me to the Velvet Underground, Rory McMahon. Uh, a big shout out to Rory, geography teacher in Uri these days. Yeah. And um yeah, I mean, walking the wild side, perfect day. Uh, Satellite of Love, you two did a cover of that when they when they yeah. performed it live. Fantastic. Uh, Vicious, I think the instrument might be a cowbell. A cowbell. Yeah. Oh, it yeah. sounds a bit more scratchy than that, but I guess it could. Yeah. Be, yeah. yeah. Scratch it down the side scratchy of it. Cowbell. I don't know. Yeah. Scratchy cowbell. Um, yeah. yeah. This is this is this is a this is a great album, and it. it it, it made Lou Reed, I suspect, thanks to yeah. David Bowie. Um, yeah. It's um, it's it's iconic, isn't it? The, the cover's iconic. Um, yeah, what, what more can I say? You, you, yeah. you, stole, you stole it on me. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to give it a massive thumbs up. <laughs> yeah, apparently even the Velvet Underground LPs weren't massively received or massively purchased until mm -hmm. they're, they're more of a, obviously, a cult band now. But yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was quite surprised that they weren't big back then, particularly. I mean, he, I think the, the the nod you've given to Bowie's the, the important part here, because apart from inspiring so many people, he did he did work, as we know, with the likes of Lou Reed, Iggy Pop, Mick Ronson. He did anything, or he seemed to give a lot. And um, what you hear from a lot of the musicians. Um, and contemporaries and even people like Bob Geldof, they say what a lovely guy he was. And I seem to remember, didn't he struggle to get into contact with um, uh, with Lou Reed to begin with when he was trying to break it into the into the States and catch up with them? It took a little while before that it warmed up and they had a good relationship. Yeah. yeah. Didn't know that. But I, you can imagine Lou Reed being a bit tricky. I think you're yeah. saying of an, a bit of an arse. <laughs> yeah, bit of an yeah, yeah. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, it's a bit of. I think this album was a bit ahead of ahead of its time, really. I suppose. Yeah. That's the Bowie influence, but yeah, you wouldn't think that's approaching fifty years old. Oh, crazy! Yeah, yeah. it's mad. Isn't crazy. It? Jesus, anyway, I feel old. There's a yeah. lot of angst in that album, you know. Um, yeah. Sort of. Um, you know, you, you get the feeling that it should be at least a couple of, you know, three years later, maybe the sort of sound of the New York Dolls and things yeah. like that were trying to uh, 
mm. uh, to trying to replicate. So I think he, he was ahead of his time. And I've always sort of thought he's like the, the older statesman of new wave and punk rock. Uh, that sort of that sort of vibe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Very very clever. When you say ahead of its time, there was um, an interview in Rolling Stone where the interviewee or the interviewer, sorry, actually said there's a couple of quality songs, but um, most of the album's artsy fartsy kind of homo stuff that lacks a certain. <laughs> there you have you it. Go away with that these days, would you? No, I'm certainly believe. wouldn't. That's no. that's like something that's like something Alan would come out with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, it's way ahead of its time. Even Rolling Stone. They couldn't keep up with it. I'd say, uh, Alan, you would have you would have you would have been a great writer, I think, for Rolling Stone. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 t- I take it as a compliment. I think um, your 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 breadth, your knowledge of uh, of music of all eras and genres, um, your your collection itself. You, you must have tricked me. I, I, I could have written for Rolling Stone, but instead I went to work for RBS. Yeah, well, I think they pay more. They paid more at the time. Well, yeah, they would have paid more at the time. Certainly, to move to America. Yeah, um, which is. I think there was a golden period big, there. Big in this... move going from Tembe to London. Yeah. Tembe to Los Angeles. No, no, my mum would never have gone for it. No, have you still have you still got that? Have you still got that uh, set of golf clubs that you carried around with you all those years ago? Um, Alan and I played. Uh, on a course outside Chester, I think it was. It was a four ball, and he still had his 10B golf club membership from 1978 <laughs> on his, uh, on his yeah, bag. But, yeah, still got it. It's in the garage next door. Have you? Yeah. Have you still got that? Yeah. For those in black and white, he's <laughs> pointing at the garage. Yeah, the garage is just there. <laughs> I could get my hands in it within seconds. Have you? See for the next the next podcast. I, I I'd like to see the ten B golf club nineteen seventy eight. In honor of you, I've actually kept Aberdour Golf Club 20, 2015 on mine. Have you? Yeah. So that in twenty years' time, some whippersnapper can play me and say, <laughs> "What the fuck's yeah. that on your bag?" You like a round of golf, don't you? Oh. I do indeed. I do yeah. indeed, mate. Yeah. Yeah. You often. <laughs> Yeah, you, you used to play with Dave Chapel, didn't you? When we used to, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's he's egging me in here. He's egging me. Hey. Okay, okay, so the, this, there's a story. It was so let let let's bring this oh, back this, on. Back, this, need to bring it back on track. Yeah, I think, guys. It's yeah. It's an it's an in joke. It's an in joke. Yeah, it's all about my bus there. My old bus there. <laughs> Come on then, uh, Alan. Your your. Oh, oh sorry. To me. Yeah, yeah. To you, please. Uh, what should I go? Oh, that's just the first of um, three albums released on the same day in 1972. The first of November. Now I wonder what what was that going on. I suppose <laughs> people were thinking, "All right, yeah, we'll get it out now, and it, people will buy it for Christmas, maybe." Uh, I don't know. Anyway, my second choice is actually this guy and we've already mentioned him well darren has mentioned him um uh, in his first uh, first album so uh this is the uh 
the other half of what at the time would have been Joni, Joni Mitchell or Mr. James Taylor. Ah. And um, his fourth album uh, featured a great single called Don't Let Me Be Lonely Tonight. It's been, whenever I've seen James live, I've seen him a few times now, he, he generally plays that. Um, but the, the, the actual title of this, this album is called One Man Dog. And uh, it's actually made up of uh, 18 short pieces, um, which is remarkable because they're strung together and they only total 36 minutes, 48 seconds. So 18 short pieces of stuff here. Um, well, my research, I've uh, found out that was actually a quadraphonic version. Quadraphonic, yeah. Who, who had the kit to pay quadraphonic records? Mm. Never heard one myself. A set up, mm. but yeah, they were all the rage. Um, and uh, that featured some alternative vocal takes and what they called elongated versions. But um, the actual music itself, and um, uh, obviously played the album last night. Um, but a lot of the a lot of the, the the tracks are almost like medieval arrangements. Um, you know, almost akin to, you know, green sleeves. Really, you know, some of them are really um, like dead American. The others are have this kind of English medieval, and I don't know whether it was James trying to get himself, because he, you know, he, he moved from America, and I, I think this was pre before he he was. Oh, I can't remember now. Was that was he on Apple, or was this? Uh, he I was, know, I think. This yeah. was on Warner Brothers. Yeah. This was on Warner Brothers. This must have been after he was on the Apple label, the Beatles label. Uh, but he was trying, I think, his best to um, to be English. I think because uh, I, I just wanted to uh, to sound sound a little bit English and he and he and he's done it but it's in, it's in a really strange way but it's in a lovely way as well because um say the uh, a lot of the tracks called one man dog there isn't a track called one man dog on the album uh the nearest you get is one man parade but he does talk about his dog being his best friend and it's a lovely song he's also got uh another dog song on here but called chili dog again James kept that in his live repertoire. Great track. Um, so there's some instrumentals on there like dance and jig. Uh, really short, clever. Just a bit, you know, a bit like the um, Simon and Garfunkel ones. You know, they're they're not very long, but I don't know what what they were doing or whether they were just maybe just trialing out his music or whether he he he'd lost his way. He couldn't write any more. Uh, on that particular song. Um, I always find it strange that you get these short tracks. Uh, they had some great guitarists, uh, some great musicians with him. Uh, Danny Korshmar, uh, so known as Korsh, uh, was on guitar and he, he stayed with James um, for a long, long time. Uh, he got guys called Leland Sklar on bass and Red Rhodes on the steel guitar. Um, I think I mentioned this before. I have to thank my brother-in-law, uh, Rob Howard, who originally 
got me into this in a strange kind of way. I, so when CDs, everybody was buying CDs. He, one Christmas, he asked for a James Taylor compilation. I'll just give this a spin before I wrap it up for Christmas Day. And I haven't stopped playing that really. This that compilation album again. That was a compilation album. Uh, James Taylor's greatest hits, or the best of James Taylor, uh, and that's what got me into him. And um, a couple of years ago, one of my friends, Angela, and her mum and dad were clearing out, and totally oh, gave wow. me an original, an original, original copy of the album. So it's got a lovely cover on there, and a lovely dog. I always love that Jamesy. photograph with the water, the way it captures the yeah. ripples in the water. Yeah. Lovely picture. Um, uh, yeah, and there's, there's uh, Leland. They can, you almost know what Leland's going to look like. Right. With his uh, <laughs> nice fuzzy beard and hair. Um, but yeah, great, great album. Um, probably don't play it enough. But yeah, that's an original. Uh, 1972, from Warner Brothers, got a lovely green label on it. Um, that's a that's another inspired choice. It really is. I think if um, yeah, I don't play that one enough because uh, I must admit a lot of his later albums I prefer, but uh, that that one's a really interesting one to to listen to. I say especially because of the these what I would call like medieval kind arrangements. Um, yeah, so that's my second choice in 1972. It, it sounds, I haven't heard the album, but it sounds a bit like um, Billy Joel's Cold Spring Harbor uh, and that narrowly squeaked out uh, of 72. That was uh, another one, a bit like Led Zeppelin four that was in November 71. And uh, he had, yeah, he had medieval elements about you know some of the songs he wrote uh, especially on the b side of cold spring harbor it was quite melancholic depressing almost he, he, yeah. i mean he was going through a seriously shit time um he, he was like on the verge of you know doing doing silly things um unfortunately and uh, yeah it sounds it sounds like they were on a similar path perhaps yeah well i think you know dad said that james was um you know heroin and heroin addict mm. you wouldn't think to look at him today uh, no he's a picture of health right. he's got two well a couple of years ago he fathered two he fathered twins twin boys they're in there they're in their teens 18s 20s now i heard him but, interviewed as well yeah, he's, he's a he's... picture of health he, he's a he's a clean living american like yourself. Yeah, exactly. Um, he, he didn't have a great, he didn't have a great upbringing. I, I think his father was in the Navy and uh, was, you know, spent quite a lot of time away. So his relationship with his father was, was, was weird. Uh, I've read, read his uh, autobiography and, um, yeah, he's a guy, a kind of, he's, he went off the rails uh, at the beginning of his career and, and he's, he's, he's matured in a, in a fantastic way. And uh, he's one of the great, 
great, great songwriters. And um, I think it's good that he was involved with people like Joni Mitchell. Uh, Carol King. And, and of course, Carol King, you know, he, she, she wrote quite a few songs with James in mind. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so um, he was lucky. He had some good people around him. I, um, I think his manager was Peter Asher, uh, the, the brother of Jane Asher. Oh, he yeah. was with Paul McCartney for a while. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he was fortunate that he, he had some great people around him. Because, uh, yeah, he, he may well have perished. Um, but yeah, so unlike Jim, he lived to tell the tale. Yeah. Well, he's, to be honest, he's an artist I never explored. There's a couple of singles that I'm aware of. But um, where should I start? Because I need to have a listen to him, I think, huh? Ooh. Where would you recommend? You know what? Um, I might, I might even say a live album of his. Yeah. Um, there's a great album. Of, I think that's only available on DVD. I think uh, buy uh, a CD copy of it live at the Beacon. Okay. Um, I love to think that because yeah, he's got a massive repertoire. Yeah, I just seen it. Yeah. Um, I'll have a think. Yeah, thank you. Cool. There's, there's one great song that um, he does with Mark Knopfler. It's called Sailing to Philadelphia. Oh, um, yeah, that is lovely. Yeah. Oh, well, to that. Yeah, fantastic song. It's all about um, <clears throat> the Mason-Dixon line, yeah. you know, in the States and how they separated it. And it was actually two English guys who, who came, came about to uh, draw that line, the southern states to the northern states. Yeah, oh, that's, that's a lovely track. Beautiful track. Yeah. And there's another, that's another one, um, I think that's, because that was, um, it was a special edition of, oh, what's the album called? I think. Hourglass, not Hourglass. Um, October Road. Mm. October Road, there was a special edition of that, uh, where he actually, um, he's got that, that on the next, on the, on the extra disc CD, he, he's got that song on there, oh. and a lovely whistled instrumental called Benjamin, which is just fantastic. It's a fantastic whistled song. It's just brilliant. Yeah, um, yeah, I love James Taylor. I'll never again. It's one of those that's going to be with me till the end. I think. Yeah. And um, I've even thought about one of his songs at my funeral. Uh, a track called Frozen Man. Okay. Which is a really great track. To Lord to. have mercy on the frozen man. Oh, nice. Well, uh, I'll have a think, a proper think on that, Daz. Yeah, thank think. you. Yeah. No worries. And would you, what would you nominate then to stick in the playlist to represent 18 songs? It's 18 songs. Uh, One Man Parade. It's the first track on there. Okay. And uh, it, it's a, a lovely track because he's talking about his best friend being a dog. And one of my best oh. friends is next to me now. Where you Bobby King? Hello, Mrs. Jones. No, uh, that's the dog. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Where you Love it. Yeah. Nice. Wherever I'm in the house, she's with me. <laughs> nice one. Brilliant. Okay. Uh, a very, very fine contribution there 
yeah. Mark, your second one. Yeah, my second one um, is another eponymous album. Uh, so I have the Eagles, the Eagles. This one is Paul Simon, Paul Simon. Okay. And uh, it's his, it would have been his second studio album, I think, after um, him and Art Garfunkel split up. And uh, I, I, God, acquired this album many moons ago. Um, I, I guess you would call it kind of folksy, folksy rock. It followed on most definitely from what he was doing with uh, Art Garfunkel. And it was described as the only thing in the universe to make me positively happy in the first two weeks of February 1972 by a guy called Robert Criscow. And Rolling Stone said it was the least detached, most personal and painful piece of work thus far from a lyricist who has never shied away from pain, a subject or theme. And I would completely concur with that sentiment. It's a beautiful album. I can't say much more about it. No. Three three hits or singles came out of it. Mother and Child Reunion, uh, me and Julio down to the schoolyard, and Duncan. If I was to put a track on our playlist, it would be me and Julio down to the schoolyard. Oh, nice. Yeah. Great choice. Yeah. Yeah. So short, short and sweet. Yeah, no, good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't think I've got that album. No. Uh, obviously, I'm aware of those. I'm aware of the two. Um, can't say I'm aware of Duncan. But yeah, See another off. reunion and me and Julio. Yeah, that's a great song. Yeah. Can you remember the covers basically him with a, you know, like a Lord Anthony coat on, you know, with a big hood? Yeah, I'm looking at it now. Like a. <clears throat> can you remind us can you remind us some of the songs on there you've got those there yeah so you had the Mother and Child Reunion Me and Julio down the schoolyard Duncan Run That Body Down Paranoia Blues Papa Hobo Peace Like a River mm. Peace Like a River is a beautiful track and I, I guess what, what I loved about it was you know like like very similar to Graceland and um, Rhythm of the Saints, he would go to places and almost acquire that sound. Um, so there's a, a lot of kind of Latino music, jazz, blues, reggae, rock and roll mix in there. And it's, um, yeah, I like I like it for that. I mean, me and Julio down the schoolyard is just uh, it's one of my one of my favorite Paul Simon songs. That's good. I suppose the context here, of course, is this was follows on around the time was it seventy well seventy two it came out, so it was <laughs> a year after Simon Garfunkel had, had uh, broken up, um, <laughs> and I think it was all of that pent up, you know, that, all that music brimming inside him that he wanted to to release. Yeah, and I think a lot of it. You know, you listen to this particular album, you think Art Garfunkel wouldn't have fitted into it. You know, mm. so he's probably written all these songs, or he's been influenced by all these, you know, these various types of music. And I, I had to, I had to refer to Wiki because mm. you're thinking, oh, what does it remind me of? And it is all that mishmash. It is a complete mishmash of music. 
um, and, and it summed up nicely on, on Wiki as, as, as how to describe it. And he couldn't have done that with Art Garfunkel. Because Art, Art Garfunkel and Paul Simon were quite, well, mainstream, but there was, it, was, it was country folk uh, with a bit of rock pop in her. Uh, whereas he, he, brand, he truly branched out on his own, um, diversified everything he heard. He, he just put down on paper uh, with, with music and lyrics. And this was him starting out on that road to, of, of experimentation. But you think, of his, course, so you think of his rich background. So, you know, he, he grew up loving the Everly Brothers, trying to emulate those harmonies, which I think, which pushed him down the route of going with um, with Art Garfunkel in the end. But he obviously spent a few years in, a couple of years in England, living in Essex and mm-hmm. working mm-hmm. with the bands. Um, um, I heard Nick Lowe being interviewed not long ago, having met him and having learned about different ways of how to sing, how to use your voice. Um, and of course, whilst, whilst, uh, Paul Simon was in in England. He was absorbing, so that would have been in the in the sixties. He was absorbing a lot of the music that was coming through then, and opened his his uh, or broadened his horizon of musical tastes. Then coming back to the states, and then picking up all of the additional music uh, music styles. I mean, it, it it's interesting. I think if you were to plot the albums and see that evolution that gets him from Paul Simon. The eponymous album through to Graceland, you know, the, and the route he goes along there. Yeah, it, it is quite beautiful, and I, I'm only sorry I, I didn't I didn't get to see him play live. I think he's, he's late seventies now. I don't think he would turn anytime soon. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, going, going back to watching Glasgow over the weekends, watching Kylie last night, and and. and the likes of REM and Radiohead, you know, great bands. Who's following on from that? You know, I sound like my dad now. But who is who is following on from the likes of Paul Simon, um, TBC? Yeah, I suppose there's a whole podcast in that, isn't it? Or maybe it's a short one if you're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But, um... Yeah, he he was on he was at Glastonbury, wasn't he, um, uh-huh. years ago? But his voice had gone, hadn't it? It just, I think it, he was on the day he was suffering from a really really bad cold, uh, and he really struggled. Um, poor chap. Yeah. But uh, yeah, interesting that his second album was seven years after his first album. Yeah. Because he was obviously involved with Garfunkel. Mm-hmm. the time but uh, yeah and uh, again interesting um, see one of the tracks here was actually written by Stefan Grappelli yeah no. Obo- oh, yeah you wouldn't think that would you no no Obo- really just, 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 a, just a, another little known fact I've been, I've been looking up to, as, we, as we chat along the 17th Eurovision Song Contest was held in the Usher Hall Edinburgh in 1972. I'll just okay. drop that one in. Yeah. For, for anyone who's familiar with Edinburgh. That must have been on the back of uh, Brotherhood of Man, was it? No, not in 1970. Uh, Clodagh Rogers or something like that? Was it Clodagh Rogers? You, no, you'll, you'll, never get, you'll never guess what country won it. Okay. Which country won it? Was it Holland? 
you're close, but you're not right, as as Roy Walker would say. Um, Luxembourg with a song called Après Toi. I'm sure. I'm sure. um, Oh, you don't know. Vicky, Vicky, Leand- Vicky Leandros, she was uh, a German-based Greek singer. Oh, right. Oh, they are now. The song is, was subsequently released around Europe, having been recorded in several languages, including in English. Oh, Come what yeah. way? Oh, yeah. Of course, 73 was Waterloo, wasn't it? 74. Se- I think 74, yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Who, 1973, I reckon that would have been... Teaching for the Wazo a l'enfant by mm, somebody Miriam Margaret Margot Miriam. She was French, I think. Loise l'enfant. Very good. Hey, Arna. Bird and the child. Uh, okay. Anyway. Hey, Arna, I just thought I'd uh, bore you that little stat. No, no, it's, that's good. For all you Eurovision fans out there. Uh, there are a few. Yeah. There's certainly a few. I, I, I for sure, I am, I am one of them. Well, ex- except I'm, I'm not too keen on the voting system these days. I mean, yeah, the, the Irish haven't qualified six out of the last seven years. What's it's that about? A political. Football. Political football. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Shall we uh, move on to the last one of this episode? Oh, uh, oh yes. Uh, back to you then, David. Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, when you see this album cover, you'll recognise it straight away, even if you've never heard it. Um, I'm not sure that everyone on here will have actually listened to it. Um, it contains one continuous piece of music, which is split over the two sides of the LP. Um, and it's a parody of a, of a concert album, a concept album. Um, and when you see the packaging on there, it's uh, designed like this newspaper and claims the album's a musical adaptation of the of a, of a poem by an eight-year-old or fictitious eight-year-old uh, young genius called Gerald Bostock. And then through those lyrics, we actually get to sort of see hit the world through his eyes. Um, it's actually said that this particular album, Thick as a Brick, was sewn when its predecessor, so Aqualung, came out in 1971. And it was uh, thought by the music press to be a full-blown concept album. And to say that Anderson was not happy about this would be would be wrong. Um, he tried to play it down and he says, no, was I angry? No, I wasn't. I was actually mildly irritated, but it didn't stop him having a go about it. Uh, and in fact, it inspired then uh, Thick as a Brick because um, he said, no, no, Akron wasn't a concept album and the media got it all wrong. Um, and they seemed to think that the whole record was, uh, the record had religious meaning, this and the other, which was not at all a case. So what he decided to do was go down the route and do a, do a parody then of a, of a concept album, sort of going down this prog rock route and decided to write and inspire the record by uh, this eight-year-old boy telling the story through his eyes. Um, 
and produce this 44 minute long record. Um, so it's interesting how he really sort of dived in there and it became effectively Jethro Tull's first prog, progressive rock album. Um, and, I, and part of that was uh, that, that Anderson was fully aware of is that a lot of the music that was around up until then were sort of derivative of, of American blues. And he wanted to stop trying to be the next Fleetwood Mac, trying to be anything like that. And and in his time, in his uh, understanding about that, or was that you know a lot of people that were or bands were producing records that were derivative of Elmore James, and go down this diverse, broader idea, make it exact, uh, more exciting, more dynamic, and um, came up with this particular album, which was then considered by the uh, the uh, the critics post Aqualung they were did get mixed reviews but generally it was perceived as a, a great album actually went on to have good success um, is wholly recognized as one of the classic progressive albums um, of the, the the prog rock genre um, and whilst it is this one long record it's in fact got little little medleys in there so they're three five minute medleys that, that make up this whole thing and it does blend you know, classical music with folk music, which I think a lot of people probably associate quite a lot of Jethro Tower's music um, into this new, into this sort of rock framework. Um, but it's it works for prog rock lovers because it has these difficult musical themes, different time signatures, tempo shifts, and for me, uh, it's an album when I first heard it, and I've been lucky enough to see Jethro Tull once. Um, you, you've got and having the the flute in there was kind of genius it made them sound different from a majority of the other albums so great album which i love and it's my choice my second choice for 1972. nice excellent there it's again it's a band that i uh, they, they, i wouldn't say they've passed me by it's just a band i've not explored very much i've heard aqualung once i think and really should delve a bit deeper and listen to listen to more. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat. Um, I, I, Aqualong I chose as it was in the yeah. top Hollywood 100. Yeah. Um, but but I haven't I haven't listened to Thick as a Brick, and I've, I've just been looking it up. What a, what a cracking cover oh, it is! Brilliant. And I, yeah. I, I, I love I love uh, what it's 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 it says judges disqualify little Milton in last minute rumpus. <laughs> I haven't heard that word in years. A very English word. It's very Monty Python esque. You'll find a lot of the stuff in there. Uh, I, I it reminds me of a guy who, um, God rest him, he was a guy called Pascal Moore, and he was an absolute tearaway uh, from my, my hometown in Newry, and he was picking on my, my wee brother. Um, there was something going on, and I remember coming out to the bottom of the driveway and tackling him and saying, "Look here, I don't want to cause a rumpus," and he absolutely took the piss out of me. He's like, rumpus? What's a rumpus? <laughs> and uh, now that I look back and I, what a what a tit I was using that word. <laughs> you really scolded him badly. I really scolded him. But look here, young man. <laughs> I bet he was quaking in his boots. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. And my brother looking at me going, and you're protecting me. <laughs> yeah. Nice one. Yeah. Okay, guys. Yeah, I've, um, I've uh, only recently purchased Aqualung. I haven't played it yet, but uh, oh, 
great album. Mm. Yeah, so I'm aware of Jethro Tull. Well, and uh, if it'll suit you, it's it's you know, more than it's more than three minutes long, Al. Yeah. <laughs> we all know you like a long tune. No, I do. I do like a long tune. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've, I've, um, so I'm only really getting starting to get into this band, uh, so I've right. not even played that alone at all yet. But I think major, majorly because um, like the guy we've mentioned uh, a number of times, Stephen Wilson, he's been selected to yep. um, put his stamp on these are these great albums yeah and uh, i was just listening to the ultra box uh, vienna last night that he's done and it's wonderful it's just it? subtle things so maybe i'm approaching it from the wrong album i'm if i'm going to be listening to versions which are slightly tweaked by stephen wilson maybe i should be listening to the original mixes don't know anyway interesting yeah perhaps yeah. the um Perhaps it's a different way to tackle listening to bands. Start off with a slightly different mix, but I wouldn't know how different that was to the original anyway. Unlike Ultravox, mm. um, but yeah, yeah. I, I know um, every time I can see um, a Jethro Tull album cover, you think, "Yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that a lot, you know, many, many years." You know, going thumbing through the rack and things like that but I'd never think to buy any I think it's always I think of a in the past I've associated them with like uh like a 60s you know for whatever reason 60s yeah. late 60s stuff yeah which um you, you should try before you buy I'd yeah. say though just make sure it's something that you enjoy it's I mean that you you have you do have solos you've got uh you know Ian Anderson, if you see the video clips of him playing his his flute standing on one leg, and there's a couple of interesting um, bits on on YouTube where you get to see real flautists watching mm -hmm. him playing and and coming away thinking, "Wow, how's he been able to do that?" Because they know what effort it takes. I mean, technically, I think they find he's actually very good at what he does, but to be able yeah. to do it, then you know having been singing and dancing around the stage um, for lots and then doing a, a concentrated piece. You know, he does bolero, he does all sorts of different classical pieces as well. And um, it's, you know, it's a musical genre. It's not for everyone. Um, but if you enjoy it, then this is really at the, uh, towards the very height of it. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so if that was I've got older, my, I think my, uh, Sort of expanse of listening to different genres is, is broadened, really, which is, which is a great thing. Okay. Um, so, and there's you know, there's always new music to buy, even if it's been as so we're talking about records that came come out nearly fifty years ago. Incredible, and, isn't it? Um, you know, you'll always be able to pick them up one way or the other. You know, whether it be you know seeking out the original copy. Uh, a remaster or um, you know buying a CD or even streaming it yeah you know there's a way to listen to music these days which um, you know 50 years ago you'd have the radio 
ball if you bought the record or if you bought the cassette. Um, that was the only way you'd, you'd be able to listen to music in those days or going around a friend's house. So these days, music is much more instant, isn't it? And yeah. readily available and it's free, which in a lot of cases, which doesn't quite um, set with me. I think, if, you know, people, uh, artists of a, you know, it's their livelihood. I think it's only right that you should pay for the privilege of of listening to yeah. to their output. Completely agree. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, guys, let's let's wrap that there, and we'll reconvene to do the next eight tracks from nineteen seventy two. Yeah. Wish yeah. you a good a good Congrats rest of the day. Guys. Thanks very much, guys. Yeah. Pleasure as always. Bye. Bye. Loved it. Bye bye. Bye bye.